We are looking at the book of Ephesians this morning. And uh, like I, I kind of mentioned yesterday, the passage that we're going to read. Good morning, Jeff. Good to see you. Um, the, the passage that we're going to read, it, we made the comment yesterday that if John 3.16 is the gospel in a nutshell, this first little passage in Ephesians is the tree that the nut fell from. Um, and, you know, you don't hear that phrase often, do you? You know, that the, the, the nut doesn't fall far from the tree. It doesn't normally have something to do with scripture. It has more to do with uh, like crazy family members, right? Um, but yeah, we're applying that to scripture right now. So uh, Ephesians is where we're at, Ephesians chapter one. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter one, starting in verse three, we're going to go down to verse 14 again, and uh, we're going to talk about a few things in it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, Sarah. So there's so much we've talked about even yesterday and, and even in the Galatians, you know, these things tie in together. We've talked about justification and atonement and adoption. And yesterday was about assurance. And, and, and so we're not going to dig into details and all that today. You'll have to go back and watch it if you missed it. But uh, let me remind you of, of something that, that I said yesterday. So we're going to talk today about something that uh, at times can be controversial between denominations, and uh, Paul brings it up here, and so it's worth speaking about. And so, uh, good morning, Vicki. So here, here is what I said yesterday. Remember, embrace, embrace the truths with the realization that our salvation is not determined by our understanding. Okay. Sometimes there are concepts and topics that we cannot fully 100% describe and explain away in scripture. That's the great mystery. That's the mystery that God reveals to us little by little by little. And there are things that might, you know, like now I, I can say, wow, you know what we're going to talk about today, this makes sense. But this was not something that I could explain before and prior until kind of more revealing from the Holy Spirit and going, okay, now I understand why we believe the way we do as, as a holiness Nazarene background. Good morning, Sharon. So, you know, yesterday, remember we talked about too, that sometimes um, 
if we're not careful, it's kind of like the, uh, I use the illustration of the um, city school kids that uh, the teacher takes them on a field trip out to a farm. They've never been to a farm before. They're walking down the stalls because there's all these different unusual animals and the teacher and the, the farmer are caught in the conversation because they're just explaining every detail of what the animals are good for and the milk we get and the leather and I mean all this stuff. And they get to the end of a row and they turn around and the kids are nowhere to be found because the kids are back at the beginning around a hay bale looking at an ordinary cat because they understood a cat. And so it's easy to ignore things that we don't understand, right? I mean, I preached that when it came to the Holy Spirit. We ignore what we don't understand. It's also easy to grab a hold of something that is a denominational distinction. And as we've said before, lay many scalps at the feet of that item. And today is one of those items. It's this idea that Paul uses the word of predestination, predestined, or election, or choosing, depending on your translation. And uh, um, some use for ordained. They're all words that kind of describe a concept that has been debated in denominations for years of what is predestination and how does that work? How does that work with free will? Do I actually have free will or not? Am I a, a, a robot? And, and so it's important. And as a Nazarene church, we fall on, a, uh, on an angle that I will say very clearly right now. We believe in free will. We believe in free will. We believe that you have the right to choose, that God gives us a gift. Good morning, Pat. God gives us a free gift, right? I, I use that illustration in Galatians when we were talking about this, and my dad would always carry a pen, and he would use that as the example and hand it out and go, hey, it's a gift, but what do you got to do? You've got to reach out and you've got to take it. And a gift can be given back, right? I mean, those are all, those. it's a um, an illustration to try to describe, and, and remember, when it comes to theological things, every illustration breaks down in one way, shape, or form. Um, and so using human illustrations to describe a divine act of God can break down, okay? Um, and so I'm not saying that's a perfect illustration, but it's got a great visual to it. So here we go. Let, let's look at a little bit this idea of this predestination or election or foreordain, and what does it mean? So there's two ways that you can define this word. It's two ways that it's been defined in the camps. So whether it be a Calvinist camp, a, a reformed five-point tulip, um, where because we are chosen, elect, pre, uh, predestined, foreordained, um, that they actually then use in the, the five-point tulip what's called limited atonement, that Jesus's death on the cross was limited. It was not for everybody. It was only for the chosen and the elect. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing in God's grace or God's atonement that is limited at all. There is nothing in the plan of salvation that God put together that I see as being limited. It's limited by us, by our choosing. But anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself. So there's two ways to define this. One is that God chose the individual whom he would save, okay? That's the typical, when, when people use the word elect or predestined, they look at it that way and say that when, whenever Paul uses the word predestined, this has to be what he meant, that God chose the individuals whom he would save, which 
in turn means that he chose the individuals who would not be saved. Or there's a second way that this word is used, and it actually fits more with Paul's preaching throughout, uh, especially Ephesians, is that God chose the plan. God chose the plan by which individuals would be saved. God, in his sovereignty, created. We talked about this in Galatians before the beginning of time. We read it too. Before the creation, he had a plan, a plan A, not a plan B, that Christ would come, that he would die, that his blood would make atonement for our sins, that we would be justified, atone, see, find atonement and adoption through that act of Jesus Christ. That was a plan A, not a plan B. Okay, that's the two definitions of this word predestined. You can see how one falls on a camp of Calvinism and one falls on this camp of Arminianism. That's why we, we've, we've done damage, if you will, by not preaching passages that use these terms in a holiness, Nazarene, Arminian background because we're afraid to touch it because somebody will say, well, you're preaching election. Uh, um, I, I did have somebody who didn't listen to the whole video that one week and sent me a message and goes, uh, do you believe in eternal security? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Go finish that video. You know, I, I, I mentioned how Wesley himself would use the word elect, how he would use the term eternal security, but not in the definition of God's choosing, but in the definition of assurance, that we in our assurance, that the Holy Spirit gives us assurance, can feel eternally secure because we know without a shadow of a doubt that we are saved, right? Good morning, Ray. And so those are the two definitions of this thing, predestination and election, that God chose the individuals or that God chose the plan. So Paul says and uses those words choosings and predestines together that both imply a prior decision by God resulting in the present experience, okay? The present plan is how he's using it. So depending on your choice really is how you look at God. So we've talked about lenses. So from a Calvinist standpoint, when they look at it as being the first choice, as being that God chose the individuals before even your birth of who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved, if you look at it that way, your lens of God has to do with looking at God as wise, as being um, all-knowing, as being his power, and they use the word of God's sovereignty. And that if you choose that way, then you are truly understanding God's sovereignty is, is how that argument would go. It's There's a term in there called determinant. De, now I can't say it. Determinism. Determinism. Okay. Determinism is this idea that God determined by his sovereignty who would be saved and who wouldn't be saved. And that's, that's a tough thing. To say that God chose you over somebody else. It's kind of prideful in my mind. It's kind of egotistical. It's and then that God would choose those to be condemned. I mean, in scripture we read it that I, I wish that none would perish. Right? I mean, his his desire is not that any would perish. 
Can I tell you that I believe that that view removes the beauty of God's love? It, it removes the beauty of God's desiring and seeking relationship, right? Exactly, Vicki. That's where we're going with the second part is the free will that we have to choose you know, and so if we believe in that first end, it removes God's love. It removes his, his desire for us to be in an open, honest, pure relationship with him, which requires not a robot, but somebody who can say yes or no, that can choose. He gave Adam and Eve the choice. He allows someone, it's in his perfect love that he allows someone to be hopelessly lost. You know, there's also this idea in him choosing an individual that regardless of whether you're seeking him or not, if he didn't choose you, it doesn't matter. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around that. I don't see that in scripture. When we're seeking him, it's because our heart through the Holy Spirit, the provenient grace is being drawn to him. And so to say that even though you're, I mean, you're being drawn to him, but who knows, you may not. I, I, I've seen this preached, and it was so sad to see an individual who was a large church pastor who said, you know what, for all I know, I'm not one of the elect, and I may not get into heaven. And he went on to talk about that, and I'm going, there's no hope in that. Where's the hope of your salvation? Where's the hope and joy of the assurance of knowing and so that's why we as a Nazarene church fall on, in the Wesleyan holiness background, fall on the second definition that God chose the plan. Before the creation of time, he chose the plan of salvation by which individuals could be saved. We believe in God's justice that he gives us the right to choose and judges on that. Here's an example I read. So E. Stanley Jones was a, um, a, a great minister, revivalist in the day, and uh, his, his denomination elected him as a bishop, elected him to the bishopric, and he declined it because he did not want to um, focus on anything other than his evangelism and his ministry. So he was rightly chosen by a plan, but he rejected the plan. Do you get it? I mean, so that's a, again, it's a human illustration to this topic, but God, before the creation of time, created the plan that some would come by their own choosing and some would deny him by their own choosing. And so when he predestined, it was because of his knowledge before the creation of the world. God created time. He's above time. He knows what choices we'll make but he still made a way for us to have the choice. In verse 11, it kind of backs this up because predestined isn't connected more to our inheritance. It's to God's plan to create this eternal reward for us. And it's something that's accomplished for our salvation. It's not God choosing and sitting up there. That, that's more the Greek mythology, the Roman mythology, all the mythologies that the gods are sitting up on a mountain, ready to strike you with lightning. 
Do, do you see how this concept has permeated the church and permeated our culture? You can hear it in phrases like, well, I'm afraid to step into church because, I mean, God might strike me dead because I'm a sinner. Um, you know, God might this, God, God, the roof might fall in on my head. Some of those, they all kind of flow from this concept that God is just this vengeful God who's already chosen whether you'll be saved or not. So, you know, just wait to the last minute and, you know, on your deathbed, pray and just hope, hope you get in. There's no hope in that. There's no joy in that. There's no assurance. You know, in, in throughout scripture, his love, his love is expressed by extending to us grace and a plan for salvation to all people. That's the whole journey through the Old Testament and New Testament. It's a plan of salvation. It's his plan for all to come to know him. It's also expressed that by knowing full well that humankind would turn from him, he created a way, even though it would cost him the life of his son. He made a plan in a way. His love allowed for the risk that not all would have accepted him. He could have. He could have made it to where all we do is just sit. Like, like the pictures you get sometimes of heaven that all we do is sit around a table praising God and eating good food, right? I, you know, and those are more in the secular or, or even a uh, we, we joint sprout wings and we sit on the cloud playing a harp for all eternity you know it's it's a weak version of heaven right but he could have done that he could have but yet he created us with the ability to accept it's kind of like laws right when you're a child and you're given all just this is how you act it's right or wrong, yes or no. And then as you grow and you mature and as a teenager, you hopefully are given more choice, more ability to make your own choices as to what's right or wrong. And by nature, a lot of people end up trying to fight the rules that were put in place. It's that rebellious time, the rebellious spirit. And, and, and mom and dad, whoever's on here, you can just stay quiet, okay? Nothing in the comment field about my upbringing, uh, uh, you know, rebellion, okay? Uh, no, just kidding. Um, but uh, I wasn't that bad of that bad of a, a kid, right? Um, but you know, you you rebel. You seek to to kind of challenge the boundaries. It's our nature. That's something given to us by God, so that we will challenge it. We will feel the Holy Spirit's prevenient prevenient grace drawing us, leading us to accept it. Because when I accept the law, when I find these boundaries and say, okay, I'm willing to live by them, then I'm willing to live by them and I find joy in the boundary instead of restriction. I find hope in those boundaries. I find security in those boundaries. I find assurance in those boundaries instead of seeing them as a restrictive thumb. Some distant God that all he wants is for me to obey his beck and call. And therefore, there's no joy and there's no love. And I don't see love when I see restrictions. But I see love when I see grace. I see love when I see the ability to choose. And when I make the wrong choice, I have the ability to come back, to repent. That's a loving God. 
he allows for that risk that not all, even though it breaks his heart, that not all will accept him. But when we do respect, accept him, when we do respond to his love, it allows for a personal, real, true relationship that's not possible in determinism. It's not possible when I'm just a robot who has no say in the matter. Even though we talk about free will, here's the other side of the argument that they often will say that in our free will that that we make it about works we just talked about that in galatians it's not salvation by works that we they make it about us that, that as if we're putting too much weight on our decision and i don't know about you i i don't i don't put any weight on our decision the weight is that i finally came to a point that i said god i can't do it i can't do it on my own and god reaches in and it's by his grace and his loving hand that he gives us the justification. It's from him that we're adopted. It's from him that we find redemption. And it's from him that we get to live a life of holiness and blamelessness, to seek to be there. It's not anything of our own, right? We talked about that in the, the whole Galatians and Paul and James and, and all of those. It's all a result of being in Christ, yeah, so we can give glory to God. And we're dependent on him. You know, God wishes that none should perish, but we have the free will to choose. And by faith, we accept the justification and atonement. We receive the adoption that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. You know, adoption, it's, it's a word that Paul is the only one in the New Testament to use this term. Um, and it describes the work of the Holy Spirit. Adoption is in no way something that I can credit to myself. No way. No way I can credit to myself. It's only by the good pleasure of God's will that when we fall on our face, so to speak, in front of him and say, God, I, I, I admit I don't have it all together. I believe in you and I confess that I'm a sinner who needs your grace. And God goes, that's it. You know, I'll close tomorrow. I, we're going to look at this passage. Sorry, not tomorrow, Monday. We're going to look at this passage a little bit more and look at the holiness and the blamelessness because we can't move on without looking at that. But we can't get to the holiness and blamelessness until we realize the work and act that God does in our lives when we accept him that he doesn't leave us that way. He continues to work in us through the justification, the atonement, the redemption, the adoption, all of those things that happen in an instant in the now and the not yet, right? They happen now, but they also have this not yet for the heavenly realms and the heavenly heavenly places, all that stuff we talked about yesterday. And so we're going to look a little more at that holiness and blamelessness and how it works out in our lives. Um, I, I'm excited to kind of talk about that too um, on, on Monday. You know, they're character traits that as Christians, we should exhibit that holiness and blamelessness, but we exhibit it to God's glory, not to our own. Um, and so we'll look at that. But let me leave you with a, an old story. So, you know, sometimes there's some weird stories that come out of um, some of the early church, the Catholic beliefs. Um, but there was one that I really love because there, there's some that are, are downright heretical. Um, and, and I won't get into all of them. One is actually, um, I won't get into it. But anyways, there's a 
story of a vision that a priest had that uh, I think is very kind of fitting to this, talking about God's work towards salvation. So he had a vision and he had a vision of a ladder going like Jacob's ladder going up to heaven and people and angels were traveling up and down this ladder between earth and heaven. And God spoke to him and said, I want you to come to me. You know, so kind of the act of salvation. I want you to come to me, but you can't use the ladder. And so this man is, is spending years just studying. He goes through his entire life worrying, trying to figure it out, trying to work it out on his own, right? Work out his salvation. And he's trying to work to figure out a way to get to heaven, to climb a tree. Well, the trees aren't tall enough to climb a mountain. The mountains aren't tall enough to, he can't fly. He can't, you know, he's, he's finally at his wits end and he sits down at the bottom of this tree and goes, God, I can't do it. And God speaks from heaven and says, that's exactly right. Now you get it. And he reaches down and picks the man up and brings him up into his presence. That's the act of salvation. It's not that we are predestined, but that God predestined a way. He created the plan of salvation from the beginning of time so that we who choose that route, who choose to say, God, yeah, if the salvation's up to me, I'm traveling down that lonesome highway. I, I, I can't do it. But saying, God, I know I don't have it all together. Save me, help me, redeem me, restore me, work in my life to lead me towards holiness and blamelessness in your sight. That's the work of what God does in our lives when we choose him, when we choose him. So I don't share these things so that we go out with newfound arrogance and knowledge to fight against all of our Calvinist brothers and sisters who believe in eternal security. I, I don't share it that way. Because if we did, you missed the message. You missed it. Too many scalps have been laid at the feet of denominational doctrines that aren't the dogmas of the church found in the Apostles' Creed that we all believe in, that God, the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the, the virgin birth, all those things listed out in the Apostles' Creed. Countless theologians throughout time have argued the debate between eternal security and free will. And I don't choose to add my name to one of them. Because sometimes we use the same terms or different terms to describe the same act of God. Because when you look at God's sovereignty, then maybe you could say eternal security. But when you look at God's plan of salvation, which is where I fall, as I just said, in the Nazarene holiness, Wesleyan holiness background, that I put more stock into God's love, his desire not for robotic people, but for a people to listen, to choose, and to lovingly come and accept him. So God, we love you, we praise you, and, and, and I just ask for continued growth and humility of your people. Lord, a healthy fear of the Lord that creates all. We've forgotten that at times. 
we, we act as if we know it all. And we debate and we argue and we fight with those and we tell people they're, because of a belief they're, you know, wrong, they're going to hell and, and all those things. It's sometimes it's not in our rights to do that. Or I go back to what we talked about in Galatians, that it's our right as a believer to restore one another, but to do it with gentleness, with humility, in love. God, that's what we're called to do. So Lord, I pray for a people that are more loving. Pray for a people that love you more and more, and it results in more and more love to their neighbor, and therefore more and more love to themselves. God, may we trust you in the days and times that we live in, that you are working out your plan. Not a plan to punish and avenge, not a plan to condemn, but a plan to draw all people to you. Because you want each and every one of us to turn to you. We won't. Not everyone will. But God, you, you still continue to seek them out, to seek us all out, to burn away the pride, the ego, the tendencies towards gossip and slander and division and all those things that hold us back. And you do it for your namesake and your glory. So we praise you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.